Welcome to Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. I'm Roger. And I'm Dusty. My brothers and sisters in Christ, join us on Thursdays as we work out these three perspectives in our everyday lives. Well, you know, it's a very interesting time because 40, 1945, this week in 1945, was the first atomic bomb test, interestingly, in a place called Jornada de Muerto Desert near Alamogordo, New Mexico, where the U.S. government has set up the Los Alamos testing lab as part of the Manhattan Project involving a gentleman named Robert Oppenheimer, who is the father of the nuclear uh, age, uh, the atomic age, should I say. Wow. His movie, a biopic, I would imagine. Yes. I have not seen it. I have not read the script. The only thing I know about the movie is that everybody in Hollywood was signing up to be in it. Uh, it's a new Christopher Nolan film, and it opens this week. Uh, matter of fact, by the time this, this uh, broadcast hits, this podcast hits, uh, the next day the movie will be opening. So yep. I thought that it would be interesting to look at it from a Catholic perspective, or at least talk a little bit about it. You know, yeah, Robert Oppenheimer was the scientific director of the Manhattan Project. And, and uh, he was not a Catholic. As a matter of fact, he was uh, born and raised Jewish for the most part. However, he, he really kind of came from a more secular home. Um, and he identified a lot with uh, Hinduism. Interestingly, he even really? nicknamed his car. Yeah. After one of the Hindu gods. So I find it fascinating that the name of the experiment uh, was called Trinity. Yeah. They have the, the yeah. bomb they put up with where they kind of propped it up, ready to drop so that the all practical no cg no cgi no cgi, no CGI real new bomb it's a it, yeah right it's a it's a for the most part practical because we know it's a christopher yeah. nolan film right oh so, yeah um so in any way uh the the code name or the name that he chose uh was sort of profound to me um and it came from his fascination for for poetry from uh, a a poet named John Donne, D O N N E, yeah, wow. and and the name of the poem was Holy Sonnet. In there's a line in there that says, "Batter my heart, three personed God, batter my heart, three personed God," which is of course referring to the Holy Trinity in Christian theology. Oppenheimer saw the creation of the atomic bomb as a moment that had the power to change the course of history and human and and civilization human civilization much like the trinity in christian belief did okay so that's why he decided to name the test trinity to symbolize the significance of the event and as we know he was right he was yeah. right that certainly changed at least the course of the world um as we know it since since it happened right then there is the whole idea that he first of all let's kind of set the stage yeah yeah it's, it's the middle it's the middle of the world war the nazis who have a lot of very intelligent uh oh, yeah. physicists and and so forth many of them actually got out of the country and came to the united states luckily yes. one of those was albert einstein yes okay yeah. 
So the Germans um, were full of these brilliant minds, and the U.S. government was absolutely afraid that they were going to develop this weapon of mass destruction that had never been seen before. Physicists had discovered a way of splitting uh, atoms for a little while. They didn't even know if Oppenheimer himself was was really on the U.S. team because a lot of members of his family, believe it or not, had joined the um the, the the party of the Russians, which was the Communist Party. <laughs> so they were a little worried about him. And they had the FBI, even as he was the director of this amazing project, they were worried that this guy was was leaking secrets over to the Russians, who were also participating in the war uh, themselves in World War II. But as it turned out, uh, the Americans were first, they were able to develop this amazing project and it's weird what happens to Oppenheimer I'm sure we'll probably see it in the movie explored to some degree yeah because he goes from being the guy who is driving his team to work really hard and by the way party harder on the weekends yeah (laughs) um he was just a real enigma of a guy he he was a really interesting character yeah there was a lot of pressure on them right like the pressure of the Nazis or Russians even or even though they're on the same side but the pressure of them to get this. So this was truly an arms race, right? It was truly an arms race. And the, and interestingly, people ask, you know, was anybody thinking um, of the repercussions morally that you were going to be able to kill, let's say, 100, 200,000 people in one failed swoop with this bomb? Wow, wow, um, wow, And the answer is no. They, they were so driven. Everybody was just, they wanted this horrific, war to come to an end that they had had four years of it and they just wanted it to end what's weird about that is that when you compare those early atomic bombs even the ones that were used in hiroshima nagasaki in japan to end the war and you compare them to the hydrogen bombs or you know these mega nuclear weapons that we have now those things were like a pin drop compared to what the destruction could now right that that's really really eye-opening so there's been a lot of perspective over the years about where catholics stand um in in the is there a universally binding stance for example of the use of atomic bombs specifically as they were used to end world war ii i know we've had arguments even within my own family about how just that was or not or wasn't because think about this hitler had already killed himself. Matter of fact, Hitler yeah. killed himself. Um, and then there was no real need yeah. because that was sort of the end of the Nazis. They were sort of falling apart. They didn't surrounded by the yet. Russians. The Russians they were, were you don't want to get caught by the Russians. Like there's no way, you know, the, yeah. the sort of Russians were closing in on them. And he supposedly killed himself, you know, supposedly <laughs> Hitler yeah. killed himself. He yeah. didn't go and, to uh, Argentina and and, uh, and and Harry Truman was yeah. over on the U.S. side. President, uh, yeah. Roosevelt had also died of, of a brain aneurysm, I believe, uh, a brain hemorrhage. Yeah, actually. I think you're right. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah. Then Eisenhower uh, or Harry uh, Truman. Truman. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Truman. It was Eisenhower. No, it was. It was Truman. Eisenhower. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and so Truman is yes. is now leading and he's leading the charge for this and he thought by the way that that oppenheimer was um a little wishy-washy why because oppenheimer kept demanding that this nuclear weapon be used 
uh, once it was developed and tested and they saw the power that, of destruction that they had, the U.S. government, or at least some factions in the U.S. government were saying, can we use it? Can we drop it on Japan? But can we drop it like in a lake or somewhere just to scare the crap out of them? And um, he, he was like, no, no, we need to use this and you need to drop it from a certain height so that it can ensure the destruction of X amount of, of property and, you know, houses and buildings and, and we need to kill people. That's the only way that we're going to be able to show the true power of what this weapon can do. And then not only that, but he was hoping that it would also ensure the horror of it would ensure that it would never be used again. He wanted it to be the war or the weapon that ended all wars. I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so he goes to visit with the president and the president, you know, he, he kind of insults him. He says to him at some point um, after they've dropped the web, the, 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 the bomb, not only on, on Hiroshima, but later in Nagasaki, uh, a few days after each other, by the way, that he feels that there's blood on his hands. This is what Oppenheimer tells the president, which insults the president because the president saw it as, wait, this was the the justification for us to finally get peace in the war. Yeah. And um, and and then he tells his assistants, I never want to see that guy again. And and Oppenheimer goes from being this sort of pro-atomic leader to increasingly changing his mind as the years go by to being one of the the most uh, outspoken credit, uh, leaders yeah. for disarmament. As a matter of fact, his group of, of friends and people who had also worked on the project were the first ones who were in the disarmament uh, talks and, and stuff like that. So Interesting. over the years, there's been a, a just, you know, the, the just, you know about the just war theory. I'm sure yes. you know, right? Yes. Catholic legitimate mm-hmm. authority about how to use uh, proportionately and probably the success of a just war. Uh, and, and you've read a lot more than I have about Catholic theologians and scholars and leaders to apply these principles to specific historic events, um, perhaps even for the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But over the years, there's been a range of perspectives within the catholic church regarding the use of atomic bombs in world war ii and some argue that it was yes justifiable to bring a quicker end to the war and potentially saving a lot more lives in the long run but others question the proportionality and the indiscriminate nature of the bombings expressing concerns about all these people that lost their lives in and the long lasting effects of the nuclear weapons use that's where um, I fall on is because there is this debate. And I would say overall, again, this is, of course, might seem, some people might disagree with me. But overall, I would say the Catholic Church stands that it was unjustifiable, the bombs in Nagasaki and all in Japan, you know, it was. And the reason why is because in Catholic teaching, you can never the ends don't justify the means. So that means you can never do an evil Something that's an evil, you can never do it, even if it's, well, it's going to cause a good outcome. Oh, it's going to be a good outcome. You can never do evil that good may come out of that. Now, and the reason why the church, I would say overall, says that it, that was unjustifiable is because they're innocent lives. Now, you could say, yeah, it's going to save a lot of uh, American soldiers. Yes, that is true. But remember, they're soldiers. It's a war. 
right? And I'm not saying if any soldier or go to war, you die. That's sad. It's life, dignity, right? That's sad, but it's understandable in a war. It's different. Civilians, you can never attack civilians. And that's exactly what America did is they dropped the atomic bomb on unarmed civilians who are, this wasn't a military, it was just a, like a whole military town. And they just, right. you know, that's different. It's war, right? And just war, I believe in that. And that's why the Catholic Church, even, you know, Iraq and, uh, you know, all the stuff that happened, is a lot of it was unjustifiable. You know, it, it's just not right. War is ugly and dirty. And, and, and it's something that has to be done after all else fails, after everything. And I don't feel like they exhausted everything. You Like, you're right. Hitler killed himself air quotes <laughs> no i'm just playing he did kill himself i'll just say you know the conspiracy theory yeah. but um um he did kill himself i think japan would have gave up closely you had russia you had america like it would have i don't think they exhausted all possibilities so I, I i think i'm pretty uh i think i'm right in saying that overall the church says that no it, it was not justifiable and uh, every now and then you'll hear people say that but again you cannot do something evil that good may come well, in 1963, uh, Pope John XXIII wrote an encyclical letter called Passum Interis, Peace on Earth, I guess, mm. Passum Interis, uh, and he emphasized the need to promote peace and mm -hmm. disarmament while yes. recognizing the right, however, to self-defense. Yes, so yes, of course. Popes since then, including Pope Francis, have consistently called for nuclear disarmament and they've condemned the use of nuclear weapons as yeah. immoral due to their catastrophic humanitarian consequences. So luckily, uh, and we keep our fingers crossed and we do the sign of the cross as we say this, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, no one has, you know, used nuclear weapons, not, not in the, in the terms that we know we can, uh, since then. And there has been sort of this detent, um, you know, uh, against each other, for when these nations are, are 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 trying at least to work towards peace and seeking like you say whenever possible nonviolent alternatives um it doesn't mean that they're not they don't hurt you know they they certainly hit you where it hurts so yeah. with especially economic things and sanctions and all kinds of stuff but anyway just thought it was an interesting topic for us to bring up Oppenheimer as this, you know, big summer blockbuster is about to open, and now and we are geeks, so we and like I cannot to talk wait. about movies. I cannot wait you know? to see it. I I love uh, Christopher Nolan and his the cinematography. I forgot his name, but he's worked on them on a bunch of different films. Um, many, of course, directors they tend to work with the same ones like actors. But he's had I think a few of them, maybe three or four different cinematographers. But this one, I don't remember his name, but he I think he has like a some foreigner name. It's a foreigner name, but he's worked with him several movies. I think Dark Knight Rises, uh, I think Inception, and I love the cinematography. Just watching the movie black and white regular robert downey jr's in there killian murphy's and i mean it's so many people in there i cannot wait to see this movie i'm geeking out just just His like you dusty Hoyt van Hoytema. yes okay i knew it was something weird so he's probably yeah. not hispanic probably sweet swedish that's his yeah. name yes i knew something yeah. foreign <laughs> but i i really like him his work that he's done i really love his cinematography his his director christopher nolan has absolutely said he will not work on another film mm -hmm. until the hollywood strikes end which is our next topic
Yeah, well, let me tell you this. If anyone would have insider information, it would be you, all your experience working in Hollywood for decades in many different capacities, whether that's producing, screenwriting, directing, the talent agency, you did small budget and big budget. Like it would be you, Hollywood Dusty, you know? Oh, that's your that's your new name, Hollywood Dusty. I imagine like, remember the NWO theme song? What you gonna do, brother? When Dusty Garza runs wild on you, brother. I just imagine the theme song playing in the background. Well, I think we need to pull back a little bit further and just kind of show or talk our, to our audience about what is going on. We're, we're talking about the world of show business is going through a metamorphosis. We have gone from the world of television where you had to be at seven o'clock in front of your television and turn something on that you really wanted to watch like, you know, Three's Company or uh, Happy Days or something to all of a sudden now you're able to turn on your television whenever you want and stream and watch pretty much whatever you want unless you're still on welfare television, which you, you don't have cable, you don't have uh, any kind of, you know, you're not a cord cutter or you are a cord cutter, I guess. But in any case, you know, what's happened is that there has been also some sort of democratization that has taken place in media, whereby you and I can put our stuff up on YouTube and people can watch it if they choose to over watching Happy Days or Three's Company or whatever. They can watch whatever they want. So there's this huge tumult, right? And I said this years ago when I, I think when I was first graduating college, I said to myself, you know, cameras outside of just right out of the box you can take out a brand new video camera and that camera will shoot some beautiful video and that will now change the way that the exclusive hollywood cinema club works because now anybody can shoot beautiful video before you used to have to know how to set the camera just right and how to manipulate the film and how to how to develop the film to get a certain picture. Now everybody can do it, right? A kid, uh, and we see it all the time with these influencers and these people on, on social media, they can shoot anything and, and, yeah. and, and have millions of people tune in. Millions, I mean, just unbelievable numbers. Somebody in the 50s, Hollywood in the 50s and 40s would have killed. Oh, I, I would have killed, you know, when I was producing, uh, first producing here as a teenager growing up in San Antonio, when I was producing, I was 14 years old. Man, if we could have gotten some of the camera quality we have now, incredible. It's it's beautiful. Anyway, so there's, there's one shift. Now you're talking about a financial shift too, because all of these streamers are not just putting out television over the air like they used to. And you had to fit, sit and watch the commercials. Now they're charging you because you want to watch certain shows. So I know people that pay, oh gosh, hundreds of dollars a month to get their entertainment, to watch all their cable and to get all their streamers. You know, what I say, what I mean by streamers is their Netflix, their Hulus, their, their Voodoo's, their everything, you know? So their max is uh, of the pie that they put out, right? So now the actors and the writers are stepping up for screenwriting and so forth but we have a lot of screenwriters who are trained who are not trying to cheat who are coming up with scripts and ideas and nothing none of this machine works without the actors and without the uh the writers however you and i saw the other day these meta humans and i i'm, I'm gonna start arguing now that we may soon not need actors because we saw some very realistic thanks to our friend mauricio who showed us uh who's playing around with all these tools so, you know, 
it's a very interesting time. And then on top of all of that, Roger, you have this idea that Hollywood is changing its business model almost on a daily basis. And it's also looking at new technologies that are coming that are about to make entertainment even more immersive than it already is. So how do you justify all of those moving parts and who's going to win and who's going to lose? Well, the, the thing that everybody's sort of upset about is when you look at the amounts of money that the studio has. Sometimes they're just businessmen. Uh, and you compare it to a guy who's written the best performing show on Netflix or the best movie in the box office. And there's a huge disparity. There's just this huge chasm between the salaries, right? So what people are asking for is, is it fair to close that gap a little bit? Now, I'm going to get political here a little bit and tell you that as a member of, at one point, I was on air uh, in Hollywood, in Los Angeles, you had to be a member of uh, uh, the the union, the on-air union, right? Which then merged with the Screen Actors Guild, and now they're all sort of together. The union never did anything for me. I had beefs. I had problems with my employers. I went to the union about, they never did anything. They sat and collected my money. Uh, and the the increments of money that were being contributed towards my paycheck to the, the Hollywood unions. And I've heard this same beef from so many actors, professional actor friends of mine, who say, you know, the union doesn't do anything for us. Oh, I, I, I still have a lot of actor friends who are Uber drivers, you know, which would be weird because you just saw the guy on TV and then all of a sudden you get in the Uber and he's driving so, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the norm. And as a matter of fact, you just brought up a very interesting point. If you're a member of the union and you're not, quote unquote, working enough, you don't even really get to take advantage of the benefits they give you, like healthcare, right? Because you don't make enough money. So I have a real problem with Hollywood unions from that regard. On, on the other side, as a producer, I can also tell you that unions have put me through heck because I'm used to, I, I grew up in Texas and I my first... Uh, you know, I guess uh, my, my first steps in, in producing and so forth were not really inside of a union setting. So I was used to doing everything myself or pushing and just getting things done. When you get to Los Angeles, like I did after school and you were working for a, a professional television station or studio, you have a lot of rules. You got to take X number of breaks. They got to be X number long. You can't go uh, X number of hours into the shoot before you got to start paying overtime. And one time I made the mistake in an edit bay of stopping, literally reaching over and stopping a copy of a tape that was being made for me. And I got in trouble with the union for the editors union because I did something as a producer I wasn't supposed to do. I touched the equipment. So I have a real, as you can tell, a real soft spot for unions. However, if that's what it takes to unionize and to get better rights for people and to start to uh, get a little more equilibrium as far as, you know, what people are getting paid, then more power to you. Yeah, the Producers Guild of America, the PGA is oh. the producers union. So if you ever watch a movie and you see PGA at the, at, the, at the back end of the producer's name, you basically lose all your retirement stuff. There's a lot of power and control in those unions. They're taking it to the studios right now. And the people who are suffering are you. 
Yeah, man, it it really sucks because you had the new uh, Alien TV series, which is coming out, the new Alien Romulus movie, which I'm very, very excited that's going to be coming out. And it's going to be a lot of big changes. So I'm like, oh, man, I wanted to see all that stuff. But as far as our faith goes, we know about the sanctity of work, right? And work is not just, it's not just a thing that you do. Catholic social teaching teaches that we must like reverend work, reverence work it's an essential component of everyday life especially like human dignity it's also for the flourishing of us you the whole society and when we work we're actually participating in divine action of creation think about that like actually mirroring god's own work and shaping our world and so like the the church always insists that every worker deserves respect fair treatment opportunity to contribute to all of us in the human good Workers, workers' rights is also like a, a big thing, and we know that that there's different uh, variations, but the fundamental rights of workers, um, you need to get paid good and have safe working conditions, and that's been a big thing, especially like in old Hollywood, like in the 40s, 30s, and other like there's been horror stories, like the most famous one, The Wizard of Oz, the Wizard of Oz movie, when one of the Tin Men, there was different ones, one of them got like poisoning because they had to paint him that color and he got real real sick almost died there's been a bunch of stuff like that you have judy garland famously was mistreated um the well i don't know the politically correct word now but you you know the munchkins when they played the munchkin those they were treated horribly very very bad their dignity um was just thrown away didn't care horror horror stories right not just from the wizard of oz but like other movies but we deserve rest, right? And we deserve leisure. And collective bargaining is a thing that that people do have to write. Um, now, I actually was in, in a union, uh, electrical union, and my father has been for years, uh, so I know a little bit, you know, paying the dues and and the stuff they do for you. Now, people can debate. You know, it's up. I guess it's up to the profession. Uh, the more specified you are, the more unionized seems seems like a pretty good thing. But there could be pros and cons to both sides. And I'm sure people have both sides of that. But that was just my little quick experience that I had with that uh, working in union. My union, my father has been for many, many years. Um, so, yeah, that's it. And, and of course, you have to understand that um, it's OK to negotiate. We should. And I'm not like a CEO bashing guy that says, hey, uh, the workers do all the work. And what does the CEO do? Well, he actually he's the one that put up the money. Don't forget, like he put up the money. He took all the risk. He should get rewarded more. Well, look, there's a reason why when you go to Hollywood, you go to the studios and they have these amazing, beautiful gates and terrific sets and, and all these expensive everything. There's a reason why. Because those guys are the distributors, they're the studios, and they're the ones who make money. All the other people, the little guys, are not making as much money, and it's this uh, machine that's been built, right? So the big disparity right now and, and the big argument is, is it fair to ask for a little more quality in the payment uh, in, 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 in this new world that we live in of entertainment, which hasn't been updated for a while? based on what's happened in the past and how long some of these strikes have gone and so forth, it, it may get uglier before it gets better. But this is what happens. You know, this is why your, your mother told you, you don't want to go into showbiz, go into law, go to, go to become a doctor. But Instead. again, fair. And it, it, this is a very fine line because it's, it is really a dance. Catholic social teaching 
says labor unions like those are can be a vehicle for solidarity and can be a vehicle for social justice, especially skilled workers trying to get their just wage, fair contracts. Uh, of course, like we mentioned, working conditions. So it really is a rhythm uh, to blend. There's a lot of complications that happen, um, you know, striking, um, all this stuff that could impact when we strike the employers employee the relationship the customers get hurt okay. too uh you know i don't know maybe this whole hollywood thing is maybe this is a way to wake it up because um there's been some bad stuff that's happened in hollywood i have that little again love hate relationship with it where i grew up on movies and i loved movies and and movies have been a big part of my life i love going to the theaters and i'm a storyteller at heart and um all of that's love, but then the dark side is there is a lot of dark stuff that's happened uh, with that. But in other words, again, uh, the Catholic social teaching, I think, could be the light, a pathway for workers' rights and uh, whether or not to strike the work, how you view it through the lens of faith, how you do it as, again, mirroring God as a, act, a creator. It's a grand symphony, and we have to be really balanced. Everybody play their parts and be the instruments of solidarity, just wages. So uh, let's kind of put that in perspective. The church has spoken uh, against how socialism is very bad. It also spoke on how we should uh, treat the poor very, very well. So it's a lot of interesting stuff. And speaking of healing or needing healing, a very emotional, impactful, devastating movie that came out just in the 4th of July weekend that I saw was the movie Sound of Freedom. Now, this movie starring, of course, Jim Caviezel, Billy Camp. You've seen him in a bunch of different movies, such as 12 Years a Slave. He's a very good character actor. He was in the movie, but nobody really big. Uh, Jim Caviezel plays the true life story of Tim Ballard. He's a former government agent who worked on missions to rescue children that had been victim of sex trafficking in Colombian prime in Colombia primarily this was released of course by and distributed by Angel Studios which is mostly famous for uh, the movie, the the chosen, this TV series, the TV series that's been doing really good. Now, this is directed by Alejandro Morteverde, and I think this has a lot of Latinos behind it. Actually, the producer too, Eduardo, he's also Hispanic. You had people, of course, some of the actors are Hispanic. The cinematography by Mr. Gomez was in there, so this had a, a big uh, imprint on from Latino film creators from the actors to the main main producer and i think this was great so it's kind of hard to see you know the mainstream media or other uh, political parties bashing the movie a lot when they always talk about like inclusion and diversity and you know just be inclusive we gotta be diverse but then yet this movie that again a lot of latino influence a lot and it's getting bashed and trash rolling stone did a piece on it you know they were smashing and saying something about this is a a, a dad's superhero um superhero fantasy with brain worms or something like that pretty much bashing it in the headlines when they themselves wrote a raving glorifying review of this movie that came out years ago on netflix called cuties which i think was really horrible sexualized young little girls and Rolling Stone defended that movie, uh, and it's to see the contrast of their review of Cuties several years ago and Rolling Stone and other major platform, major um, media outlets bashing Sound of Freedom, trying to connect it to human trafficking. I mean, not human, um, 
QAnon conspiracy theories and all of that kind of stuff. But this this movie was wow. I mean, so when you see the, the box office for this movie and how well it's performing, there's something else going on. It's not the actors, because uh, I would argue Jim Caviezel is also more of a television name now than he is a movie name. He hasn't been a movie name since Passion of the Christ. So what's going on, Roger? What did they do different? What's going on? I think there is. Well, you've heard of of the remember the McConaissance? Remember that? It's got Matthew McConaughey. All right. All right. All right. Matthew McConaughey with his reconnaissance and then of course you had a bunch of other people uh john travolta with his uh renaissance even uh recently brandon frazier having his um renaissance with the whale his performance and a bunch of other projects well i think there is a christian movie renaissance and the three i'll point to the one in the last year or so have been jesus revolution very well made movie and nefarious very well made movie and sound of freedom i mean this is high production value this isn't cheesy this isn't cheap you can barely call it a christian film there's only three lines about god really there was one biblical uh, scripture about the millstone being tied around your neck uh, rather than you hurting these little children which was a good line and then of course there was the cool line from jim caviezel getting all jim caviezel he's a great (laughs) actor but his voice he has gravitas and he's like god's children are no longer for sale which was like a completely cool line like reminded me of those old action movies with schwarzenegger like stick around and all those different jean-claude van damme and uh, steven seagal and all those one-liners that they had uh that was a great one-liner somebody put that on a shirt a mug anything but this movie, again, the acting was great. The cinematography was very wonderful. Uh, the directing was good. And the writers, man, the the guys who writ actually who was co-written by the actual director, Alejandro, Alejandro um, Monteverde, actually wrote, co-wrote it with Rod Barr. And he was the one who directed it. So the screenplay was excellent. There was a bunch of tense moments. You had one of the main operations on the island scene. That was very tense and emotional and action-packed. There was a little bit of levity, too, because, man, it was hard to get through this movie. This this movie, it was tough. It was, it was very tough. It's PG-13, so there's nothing gross and nothing, you know, wild, crazy stuff like that. Uh, PG-13, but... I had to um, just close my eyes several times. I just didn't want to see certain things. But again, PG-13, nothing horrendous in there. They don't show anything. Um, but it, this movie's dark. It, it's emotional. It it, mo- it changed me. It moved me to want to do something for the rest of my life about this and support this cause to protect children. And I think every day we need to pray for the children. Um, and this has really affected me a lot. I, I, was, I was tearing up a lot, fighting back a lot of tears. Uh, but there actually was a little bit of levity. So I enjoyed that. The, the script had some levity, had some funny moments. Uh, it's action packed, the tense scenes, the jungle night scene when he's sneaking around. Like, I'm not going to spoil a lot of stuff, but this is a true story. So you guys to look it up. But it was so well done. The tense, like I felt tense, the emotion, the levity, the writing, the directing, the acting. They got perfect casting to be in this movie. And the end message with uh jim caviezel was was great and i really really uh i I give this movie a nine this movie to me is a number nine out of ten of course not perfect movie but man this is as close as it could get it's not a perfect movie like i said 
but I give this movie a nine. This was Here, incredible. I asked you this earlier. Is this is this really a Christian movie? Is, is Sound of Freedom a Christian movie? I, I can't ask you guys enough to go out, support this, and fight against um, child trafficking and even human trafficking uh-huh. in general. It's a horrible thing that goes on. That of course you had the Jeffrey Epstein where he you know mysteriously the nine one one call uh, think oh nobody cares no journalists looked into that of course the the malfunctions and he just happens to quote unquote kill himself nobody got believes it. that just okay. too many the island we still haven't got a list of who was on there we still haven't gotten an arrest it, this thing this is real and people are bashing this which again again latino movie very much wow, all over the place track. and so the media is trashing this so i don't think they're being very inclusive by the way very uh, bigoted i would say very bigoted of them to do this but they're bashing a the movie so pay attention oh, the people who don't like this movie pay attention and keep close contact but i want to play a few clips from the in message from jim uh, caviso that he had played because I think it was uh, very emotional and very impactful. Even a sense of fear, which is understandable, but living in fear isn't how we solve this problem. It's living in hope. It's believing that we can make a difference because we can. But I want to make one thing clear. This movie you just watched isn't about me or Tim Ballard. It's about those kids. This film was actually made five years ago. It wasn't released till now with every roadblock that you can imagine being tossed in the way. And the names you see here on the screen took a stand and they made sure this story could be shown to all of you. And now all of you have the opportunity to continue telling this story. We don't have big studio money to market this movie, but we have you. And the baton has now been passed to you. You are the storytellers that can get people to come see this film in theaters. Together, we have a chance to make these two kids and the countless children that they represent the most powerful people in the world by telling their story in a way only the cinema can do. For a couple of months, while Sound of Freedom is in theaters, these kids can be more powerful than the cartel kingpins or presidents or congressmen or even tech billionaires. We believe this movie has the power to be a huge step forward toward ending child trafficking but it will only have that effect if millions of people see it. And just remember this, God's children are not for sale. Very powerful movie, very moving. And I think it's a renaissance of Christian movies. And we need that. Like one of our buddies, Mauricio was saying, you know, he had some, some problems with the Catholic podcast that he has. It's like, it's too romanticized. And I think what he means by that is, storytelling is storytelling and if you make a good story make it a good story first the message will be included um beauty is undeniable truth is undeniable and beauty and truth are hallmarks of god and if we make a true artful good beautiful and true story no matter what genre it is it's gonna convey the message of god no matter what it doesn't have to be explicitly about a saint or explicitly uh, um something from the bible it's just a human story and i think we need more real ones and nefarious was uh, maybe a little heavy-handed yeah of course uh more of a christiany movie but still different enough for me to consider this um different from the stuff we've seen in the past nefarious um 
you guys should check that out too. I uh, really enjoyed it. It was really good. Uh, the acting did it for me. I mean, the acting was top notch. It, it was incredible. Should have been Oscar nominated. That's how good it was. But, um, and then Jesus Revolution, of course, obviously, right? Jesus Revolution. But it was, if I'm not mistaken, all three movies were PG-13. Uh, maybe in the Ferris was rated R. I'm not too sure. Uh, but Jesus Revolution wasn't your typical. Um, not that you have to have bad language and stuff like that and graphic. I'm not talking that you have to have that. But it didn't shy away from drug use. It didn't shy away from debauchery. It didn't shy in, in a decent, tasteful way. It didn't shy away from these horrors of sin and redemption. It didn't. And I think that's what I like about it. Like one of the great Catholic authors or even American literature authors, one of the best woman ones was um, there's this line that she has to like, I'm going to mess it up, but to the blind, um, to the blind and death, you must draw large startling figures and shout, you know, and I think uh, Flannery O'Connor had said something like that. Flannery O'Connor, great, great American author. She wrote many books. Some of the famous one is Parker's Back, uh, Good Hunt, Good Country Folk, Good Men Are Hard to Find. There's a bunch of different ones. And she's very, I would say, the Martin Scorsese of, of English Catholic literature. Uh, her stories have been described as grotesque. Uh, they're dark. Um, they're not something you would you would typically say as Christians. And I think if we just make good art, we should get away from that stigma of being cheesy and being like this or that. Not that those movies don't have a place. I think they do. But this reconnaissance, this renaissance of 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 the Jesus Revolution, uh, where a secular person could watch Jesus Revolution and definitely sound of freedom. Like I said, you could barely classify this as a Christian movie. This was distributed by Fox at first, and then the deal fell through, and then Disney bought Fox, and Disney sat on it, bought them out, took years. Again, like I said, five years. So this is only because it's distributed by Angel Studios, who is a, a Christian uh, production company. That's the only thing. Other than that, they mentioned God three times, and it's just a good act. It's actually an action thriller. It's really an action thriller. And I love this movie. It's great. It's incredible. It's difficult. But you guys have to endure this. Spread around the good news for this. And again, watch the other movies too. The performances, Nefarious was a horror movie. I tricked my kids. It's like, this is a horror movie. Check this out. It's, no, it's a horror. It's about a dynamic, uh, dynamic uh, possessions and, and all this stuff. And I tricked them into seeing that. They, they thought it was okay. They didn't love it. But I, I tricked them into watching it because I was like, look, it's a horror movie. Uh, but these three, I would say, definitely have separated themselves from the pack of the stereotypical uh, nice. Christian movie. Nice. All right. So we got multiple ways we can go. We're running out of time, but which which topic would you like to go to? Do we want to do our Ask a Catholic Geek question this week, or do we want to do uh, the Ephesians controversy, which both are kind of interesting? Well, Roger, before we run out of time, we got to talk about Ephesians 5, verse 22. This is often the subject of debate and interpretation due to its wording. This is the phrase that says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as to the Lord. Between women and men, where they are subordinate to men. Yeah, so let's get into this. Ephesians chapter 5, 21, verse 28 
Now, of course, like as soon as you said that versus a lot of men's ribs are bruised right now as we speak, a lot of eye rolling from the wives. <laughs> but I think it's good to talk about this, and especially because there's been a lot of stuff going on. The Father Mike Summit thing that he did several weeks ago, people kind of defending and attacking him. Uh, the gist of that controversy was, was some people were claiming that Father Mike Schmidt was saying that the, the man of the house is not the leader of the family, which I don't think that's what he was saying. But of course, uh, the Internet <laughs> would disagree. And the Internet is the Internet. Twitter's Twitter. So there was a back and forth about that. So I thought that was rev rev relevant, but also the whole Andrew Tate Tucker Carlson interview, which I watched. I would say that I I would recommend people watching it. It's like a two and a half hour, three hour interview. It's really, really good. And you got to make up your own mind on the stuff that's going on. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Um, there's a lot of stuff that came out. Um, and I am not a follower of Andrew Tate. And I think he's dangerous. So there's, again, that whole toxic masculinity. And when I say, when I say that, I mean the real one. Because I disagree. Like this culture says, oh, there's toxic masculinity. I disagree with what they think it is. But I do agree there is there is a version of that. But that's not what most people uh, say when they when they talk about to toxic masculinity. Uh, boys are doing worse than they've ever been. Uh, schools are mainly designed for girls. They're they're not really fitted it for for men. Uh, men's suicide rate is is high, way higher. We get uh, we're more victim of violent crimes. There's a lot. Men aren't doing good. Men are not doing good. They're more lonelier. They're, they're, all this stuff. There's horrible statistics that you could read. And there is a problem that's going on. There is a, a, feminiz a feminization of of, uh, of men in churches, in public area, in, all, in media, in all aspects. Uh, but I think Andrew Tate does a good job of recognizing these. But his solution is horrible. It's, it's horrible. I would suggest nobody um, follow Andrew Tate. It's pretty much uh, make as much money as you can, be fit and physically top condition, uh, sleep with as much women as you can because you're top dog. Like that's pretty much it. Uh, the problem with that is what happens if you have a disease? What happens if you were born with a, a, a physical ailment? What happens if you're healthy, but then something happens um, and then you can't be physically fit and in shape? Uh, what happens if you just don't succeed? Or you go bankrupt or something happens That's to you a lot financially and you can't be top successful. What happens when life happens? What ha There's so many variables. So unless you have super, super good luck and all these things, then, yeah, your life will be good. Yeah, yeah, your life could skate by at least. You know, you'll be comfortable in, in your comfortable sale until it doesn't. Then you're old and lonely and uh, you don't have any true friends because all you have is is this Andrew Tate isms. And I'm very disturbed that a lot of Catholic men are actually following uh, some of the teachings of Andrew Tate, which again, he, he hits the nail on the head when, it, when, it, when it comes to pointing out the problems, but not when it comes to solutions, wow. the solution of real man is, is somebody who takes care of their family, someone who gives their life. Like in the Bible, again, you lay down your life. Yes, you are the spiritual leader of the family. Yeah. 100%. But the whole Andrew Tate and some of these, uh, you know, Catholic people—I won't say their names or anything—but there's a, there's a segment of Catholic people in, in media and stuff like that that are doing this tough, you know, hardcore act and all this stuff. And uh, here's another thing: 
Um, I don't think they've ever uh, dated a Latina. <laughs> I don't think they have. And also, too, um, it's kind of like the thing when you have kids and you have a good, good kid and you pat yourself on the back. Look how such, I'm a great parent. Look at my kids. Great. And then child number two or number three or number four comes and it's not so good. And you're like, what happened? I can't believe. Well, you know what? You shouldn't pat yourself on the back if you have a, a good, easy, great kid. And you shouldn't shame too hard if you if you have a not so good one or bad one or quote unquote bad one or whatever. Um, it's because God wired people a certain way. Everybody has a different personality. So some personalities are more submissive than others. And so it's funny that a lot of these men uh, that are character of men, they're not really men in the true sense like in the godly sense who is god is everything so he's creator he defines what a man is not this character of like hey i have a big giant truck hey i drink a lot of beer hey i sleep with a lot of women like hey i i i, I fight people or cuss people or do i can look all that stuff those are characters of men those are characters you know, of course, there's. I love action movies, right? I love puffing on a cigar and having some whiskey and some beers and hanging out with my guys. I love to grill. I love stuff like that. Fast cars, explosions. Like, yes, I'm not saying that we're not supposed to. What I'm saying is those are characters. That's not, that alone doesn't make you a man. I don't care how big your beard is. It doesn't make you a man, right? Like, so in, when, in that case, I think the Andrew Tate of the world and, and even these a small, I'll say it is small, but I'm still shocked of how big this small percentage of, of Catholic uh, men are, are very taken to this style of, you know, I'm going to be dominant, absolutely dominant. Yes, you're the head of the household. Obviously, you're the spiritual leader. But I've seen how they talk and what their, their views and what they say on different YouTubes or platforms. And it's like, wait a minute. I think don't pat yourself on the back that you're like just some a big strong man because you get to dominate your wife and all this stuff. Um, it's because your wife has a personality that is more submissive, which is not bad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but uh, your wife's personality is that of a, a very timid one, a very quiet, a very, um, uh, a very submissive one. So it's not all you don't, don't think, because again, run into another woman that's not like that. And let's see how good you do. Cause I have a feeling you're not going to be as dominant as you think you are. So that's kind of my little soapbox I wanted to say, but again, the father, Mike Smith, um, Ephesians. I mean, the church has said this, I mean, you could do uh eisegesis, you could do exegesis. So um, there's different ways you can come at They suggest that the verse should not be interpreted as a license for domination or subjugation of the wife. Um, instead, they emphasize for the call of mutual love, respect, and partnership with marriage. This reminds me of something my mom said. God rest her soul. She said, when you become a uh, especially when you're married, God assigns a cross, a big, old, heavy, 200-pound cross to both of you. And the best way to carry that cross is together. Right, you can carry it for each other. However, at times when the other person is not able to, so the way it's understood in the Catholic and the Christian understanding of marriage is a relationship between spouses. Okay, so the marriage is considered obviously a sacrament, and that sacrament is established by God between man and woman. Now, of course, now you, you see the importance of mutual submission and reverence 
for Christ within this Christian community. Uh, Christians, we're all called to live in service to one another with dignity and respect for each other. So this exegesis, in case you don't know, the exegesis is when we're taking uh, what's the actual uh, contents of the time, like what were they thinking when they wrote it? Let's go back into the ancient, the first century, whatever century you're, you're talking about, depending on Old Testament, New Testament. So let's go back into the first century. Let's let's look at this and see what it meant to them in the context. That's what exegesis is, picking it. Um, eisegesis is more of like, how does that appeal to me right now? And so that's kind of like a very very, very basic thing on exegesis versus eisegesis. And there, you could do a whole thing on that just itself, but that's just a very primitive basis on it. But again, it's important to note that uh, when we mutually submit to each other, it doesn't justify abuse. It doesn't justify regard, disregard of our dignity. So the wives have to, to love, right? The men has to love just like Jesus did. And so love is characterized by selflessness sacrificial giving, a desire for holiness, a desire a desire of well-being for both of the spouses. And it's all rooted in Christ's loves for the church that he demonstrated with the ultimate sacrifice, of course, of him on the cross. And guess what, husbands? We are called to emulate this self-giving love. Love is transformable. Husbands are called to love with absolute, with sanctity, help their wives, get their wives to heaven. And the same goes to the other side. We're supposed to be the spiritual leader, okay? Spiritual leaders. And again, if you guys want to think about today, you know, it's tradition of the Catholic church, right? The submission of the wives to the husbands and the husbands to lay down their life. I think if you put it in context of sacrificial love, self-sacrifice, I think that's a key. Think of the cross when you think about this stuff, because this it has the power to transform the spouse's love between each other. So let's not forget that this is very biblical. It's, it's also in tradition. So yes, the husband is the head of the family, but no, it's not in the way that a lot of these I've seen recently in the last month, a lot of people try to do and take apart Father Mike Smith, or again, with the Andrew Tate-isms of all the domination and, and do this and have many, you know, if the women don't like that, go with another one. And, and the women aren't allowed to have other partners, but the man's allowed to have like 10, 20, 30 partners and not really settle down. To me, that's a weak man. If If you can't say no, what kind of man doesn't say no to things, right? So if you can't say no to your passions, if you can't say no to sexual desires, then that's something you have to work on. And we're all working on something. We have to be warrior poets. Uh, what I think that means is we have to be warrior. We, we should be strong. Of course, we should work out. That's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying we should be strong. We should know how to defend ourselves, whether that's hand-to-hand -hand combat or whether that's uh, firearm training. We need to be ready to fight when we have to, but we also need to be poets. We need to know how to love. We need to know how to communicate with our wives. We need to be romantic. It's not it's not weak to like want to be romantic and and leave love letters and 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 show emotion. That's not weak at all. That's strong. But we have to be a blend of both. We can't be too much of one thing. I think that's the key a word so. in there that that we're missing from the original um, Greek or I take it. I go back to my mom's. Well, the big question is, what would Jesus do? Right. And I think Jesus would say, we're out of time. We got to go. <laughs>
we could just go on and on about this controversial. This has been Faith, Reason, and Geekdom podcast. Once again, please subscribe us. People are finding this podcast. People are sharing it with their friends. Go ahead and join this community that is more about listeners and you guys are family. So once again, we are analyzing pop culture through a Catholic compass. God love you. And I'm Dusty. God bless you guys. Yes.